Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Well, it's great to have you guys with us today. If you're new with us, we're actually starting a series, as you saw, called Different, as we've been looking through the life and book of First Peter. But also, too, if you're new with us today, we do something the first of every month called the Connect Gathering. Myself, uh, Pastor Keith, our campus pastor, other staff will be over in the cafe. We have child uh, care available during this, but we explain more about what is Thrive Church about, right? Like, how do you get connected? So whether you've been here for 10 years or 10 days or 10 minutes, uh, whatever your story is, we want to invite you to our Connect Gathering after service today. And yes, we will have some snacks and stuff to keep your belly from rumbling. Right? Well, I'm glad to kick off this series today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 16, 15 this morning. Matthew 16, verse 15. Well, one of the most misunderstood generations is the millennial generation, the Gen Zers, the IYs. Like, they're shaking their heads saying, yeah, misunderstood. And one thing that we don't really recognize as much about them that's so important is one thing they want to do is they want to make a difference. They really believe they can change the world, right? They're just that young and naive. We're all like, yeah, I felt the same way too. But they really have this, this heart and desire for whatever they get involved in is to see change happen. Unlike my Gen Xers in the house today, right? I'm kind of like the borderline of, I was born in 79, so I'm a Gen Xer and got a little bit of Z in me. But, but the Gen Xers are what we call the Nirvana generation. We're apathetic. We're all against authority. Don't, don't believe in, in uh, you know, authority or systems or structures. And the dot-com became our way of making money, even going against the system of how money was made uh, around the world, right? So like for the Gen Xers in the house, we kind of just wanted to go around and smash some pumpkins. We wanted to rage against the machine while all pursuing our personal nirvana. You like that? But whether you're a boomer or a Gen Xer or a centennial, which are the, the, the new ones, I do think what does resonate in everybody's heart, especially if you're a follower of Christ, is deep down inside, we all want to make that little dash on our tombstone count for something. We all want to make a lasting difference. We have this desire to do it no matter who we are in life. And what you're going to see in the life of Peter is that Peter made a huge difference in the world. And before we jump into the letter of 1 Peter, I think it would behoove us to stop, to pause, and look at the life of Peter. Because you're going to see some things about Peter that made him different than the other disciples, that made him different than other ones that followed Jesus. And in Matthew 16, 15, we're going to look in-depthly into a conversation that the, the, the disciple, the apostle Matthew, was there with Jesus listening to this conversation. Now, here's the backdrop. Jesus has been intently doing ministry, healing, preaching, doing all these things, and he wants some time away with his disciples. So he strategically chooses a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was 25 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Guys, they didn't have cars or Ubers. There was no camels Ubering you to, you know, 25 miles away. They walked 25 miles to Caesarea Philippi. Why Caesarea Philippi? Well, number one, it was a Gentile pagan area, pagan city, number one. So he knew the Jews would not follow him there because they believed if they went to that city, they would be unclean. So the Jews stayed back. They stayed at home, didn't follow him. He got away. He wanted some time with his disciples. But here's the other unique part about this. He knew exactly what he was doing because Caesarea Philippi was a hotbed for pagan idols. 
And as he's walking along this road, going to the temple of Pan, this is where they're going to end up at, which is believed to be the earth god, little g god, and the birthplace of Pan. As he's walking, he strikes up a conversation with his disciples. And he asks them, he said, as they're walking around these, all these like gods, he says, who do men say that I am? They say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, and others say you're just a prophet or a good teacher. And as they're walking along, then Jesus has one of the most impactful conversations that he's ever going to have with the disciples, and especially with Peter. It's probably also the most misunderstood passage ever in Jesus' teaching that's always pulled out of context by believers. But look at the, what, what he, uh, he says to them. So then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, who was always answering first, right? He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, we're not sure that all the disciples believed exactly that he, what, what Messiah would be like or that what the Son of God. So our understanding of Christian view of Jesus, realize they were following a Jewish rabbi who they believed to be a Jewish Messiah. Some of them weren't exactly sure because when he got crucified, they all left. But Peter says this. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And watch what Jesus says to him. He says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now, this is where it gets weird, and this is where I want to explain some things. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter. Like from that point forward, he, he, he was Simon before that, which means weed or shaken in the wind. But now he says, you are Peter, Petra, which means rock. And then he says this, upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. What was he speaking about there? And there's, there's a couple of different theories I kind of want to just lay out there for you. One is a very universal theory, which is, is true. The rock could mean revelation that you realize Jesus is Messiah. And he's speaking to everybody about this. Because what's the church? It's a bunch of people who've come to the realization that Jesus is Messiah and we all follow Jesus, right? That could be an explanation. However, he's speaking to Peter. And the other verses are very important to tie in. He says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Well, it could mean that, but he just called Peter Petra. He just called him rock. Because Peter is going to play a very, 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 the most important role in the early church. Even more than Paul, because Peter's going to set the stage for Paul's ministry. And what Jesus says next to, uh, in these verses to Peter are very important. And this is the first time once you take note that the word church is ever used in the New Testament, and it was borrowed from Greek language. Everything we have in Christian language there was borrowed from Greek, which means the called out ones. So he says this. He says, you are Peter. You, you are a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. The called out ones to be different. The ones I'm calling out and the powers of hell will not conquer it. That was very important to note because the early church had every power of hell known to man coming against it. But then what he says next is, is probably very misunderstood and abused in the church, and especially when I got saved, I learned this the wrong way. Verse 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. If you've ever heard that St. Pete will be at the St. Pete's gate, you ever heard that? That's where people get that from. That's not what that means, number one. But then you go on. He says, and whatever you forbid or bind on earth will be forbidden, or if your version says bound in heaven, and whatever you permit or loose on earth will be 
permitted or loosed in heaven. Let's just pause there for a second because here's what I was taught when I got saved. And maybe you weren't taught this. But I was taught you could bind up the enemy. Hallelujah. You bind up the devil. And you can loose this and bind that. Here is what Jesus was saying, guys. Peter, think about this now. The leader of the early church is going to actually loose the Jews, release them from the burden of the full Torah and give Gentiles acceptance into salvation. Acts 15, to Jerusalem Council. The biggest argument of the New Testament is, what do us non-Jews have to do to be fully saved? And the Jews were saying, man, circumcise those dudes. If you don't know what that is, Google it after church, not now. <laughs> if you brought your kid in kids' church, they should be in kids' church, have the conversation at lunch. Circumcise them, and they've got to come to the festivals, and they've got to become Jewish to be saved. And so God gives Peter this revelation, like he, he shows him one day, Peter's praying, and the sheep come down from heaven, and all the animals are there, and he shows them pork, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and says, guess what? You can eat pork now, Peter. He says, don't call uh, unclean what I've called clean. And he was referencing there the Jews. And then Peter had a man show up to confirm that. It was powerful. And so then Peter leads the march to say, hey, look, non-Jews can be fully saved, and they don't have to also be Jewish. As a matter of fact, Jewish brothers and sisters, the law of Moses is not our governing authority anymore. We can follow the law of Moses, the full Torah, the 613 laws. But he literally bound and loosed. And that was for Peter. It wasn't for you. I'm sorry that grandma taught you you could bind some things up and loose some things, but that's not what that means there. I hate to burst your bubble. It was all about Peter. Because Jesus was giving Peter a unique role in the kingdom. He had a different calling for Peter that he was setting him up, up for. Peter didn't know it at the time, and the other disciples didn't know it. But I guarantee it clicked when Peter had to make some really unpopular decisions. He had to lead the church through really tumultuous times in the first century because this was the dividing factor of all the letters of Paul. If you read Paul's letters, this issue was big. What do Jews and non-Jews, what do non-Jews have to do to be saved? So what I want you to grasp here is this, is that Peter had a unique calling. He was called to be different. He was called to make a difference. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down because this is very important today. And here's today's big idea, and it's this here. We will have to live life differently to make a difference. And we'll break this down now. It seems very simple, but if you want to make a difference, you've got to live differently. If you say, I want my dash to count as something— then you're going to have to stand out a little bit. I'll never forget, I was like super stressed out, man. I was taking Greek in college and working three jobs and just really stressed. And I, I mean, my blood pressure was all out of the, off the charts. I was just, you know, it was tough. And I wanted to quit Greek. I'll never forget the Lord impressed upon my heart a, a quote I'd heard. He said, an uncommon future requires an uncommon preparation. He says, if you want to be like everybody else in ministry school, you do what they do. If you want to be different, you've got to do what they're unwilling to do. I finished, only three people were in that class when I finished. And I learned the lesson that if you're going to, if you're going to make a difference, you've got to live life differently. You know, Seth Godin released a very popular book in 2003 called The Purple Cow. And that book was phenomenal because the preface was this. Imagine you're driving 
in a rural area and you look out in a cow pasture and you see brown cows and white cows and black and white spotted cows, but then all of a sudden you see a purple cow, what would you do? I mean, you're playing your phone. You're going to try to get as close as you can and take a selfie. You're, it's in your story. It's on Snapchat. It's in Instagram. It is everywhere, man, because you, why? It stands out. And the preface and the premise of that book was with organizations, companies, or people, if you want to do something different, you've got to do it differently, enough where you stand out. And that's what Peter had to do. He had to live life. Peter, Peter was the purple cow among the Jews because of his calling. But what made Peter unique wasn't just that calling that I showed you in Matthew 16, 15 of the loosing of the Torah and binding and the, the keys and kind of leading the early church. It wasn't just that. The thing that separated Peter from all the rest of them is Peter also failed the most. He was the one who raised his hand first and had the wrong answer. He's the one who talked all the time in staff meetings. He's the one who cut off somebody's ear and committed a crime. He's the one who denied Jesus. He's the only disciple that Jesus looked at and said, hey, Satan, get behind me. Like, that's pretty hard. I mean, what if you're saying something to me? I'm like, hey, man, your thoughts are of, of the world. You, you're thinking like Satan. You wouldn't come back to this church anymore. Tell me, like, I, wish, I wish I could live when Jesus lived and follow him. No, you don't. You would have left Jesus' church too, went down the street. Because Jesus spoke truth. And Peter, at every failure, did what even Judas wouldn't do. Judas quit. Peter refused to quit. So what made Peter different? And this is key for all of us that is here. It's failure. And if you're going to live life differently, write this down. Because here's what I really want to zero in today is this. Is that living life differently means failing as you follow Christ. If you're going to live life differently, it means failing as you follow Christ. It means that you're going to have trip-ups. The thing's going to happen to you. You're going to make bad decisions. You're going to have regrets. But if you're going to live life differently, it means you've got to embrace failure like Peter did. Peter failed over and over. John didn't fail. He was the only disciple left at the cross faithful all the way through. But in the New Testament, here's what Jesus said. John, you take care of my mama. Peter, I want you to lead the church. Why? Because Peter's response to his failures is what made him different. Jesus said his response to his failures means I can trust him in the valleys. He said, I love John. John's sweet. If you read John's gospel, it's the sweetest gospel. He laid his head on Jesus' chest. He was a sweet guy. But Jesus said, I need somebody who has fallen down, somebody who has failed me to lead this church because of the way he's responded to that. And what happens so many times with us is that when we hit failure, we isolate ourselves, we quit and we never get to see the season that Peter got to see. So there's, there's three seasons of life that you're all going to have. And sometimes you'll have these three seasons in one day like Virginia has in a week with weather, right? There's, there's seasons of following, seasons of failure, and seasons of, of fruition. Peter had a season of following Jesus when he first got called to follow Jesus. And we all have that call, right? Jesus is calling you. He wants you to follow him. And the season of following in Matthew 14, 18 says this. Matthew records this. 
He says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. They actually had a rabbi who said, come study under me. I want you. I'm choosing you. Because they were ones who hadn't been chosen yet by a rabbi. They left everything, began to follow Jesus. So Peter had this season of following Jesus. But along that journey, and along your journey, there's another season that I want to focus on. It's a season of failure. And Peter had a lot of failures following Jesus, a lot of hiccups, I would call it. But his greatest failure came when Jesus was being punished as a criminal. And right before that, Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples. He's saying, look, guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be betrayed and given to the hands of sinners. And here's what Peter says in Matthew 26, 33. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Sounds great, right? Fast forward 40 verses down. He couldn't wait 40 verses to actually do this. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. Jesus was being crucified at this point, beaten. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. That's worse than cussing. Like as a Jew pronouncing a curse on yourself. And then he says this, and immediately the rooster crowed, because Jesus would say the rooster would crow three times, and suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Bitterly. That the man he loved, he followed for three years, he couldn't help himself from deserting him. Peter failed, and Peter failed. At Jesus' lowest point, he left him. Real low blow, sleazy move by Peter. And then he knows Jesus is going to be killed. He had a season of failure, of great failure. But Peter's story didn't end there, and if you respond correctly, yours won't either. He finally had a season of fruition. Because Jesus comes to him a little later and says, hey, Will you feed my lambs? And Peter's like, ah, you know, I don't know. You know, you, I love you, I love you. And they're just going back and forth about this love thing and how deep is the love. You can go into all the Greek and that. There's had this conversation. Jesus says, I want you to lead. And Peter's all up in his fields, man. He's just like, I don't know. You know, I'm just not good enough. Uh, you know, it's just kind of, um, I think I should just fish. Jesus is like, come on. Step out of it. Lead. Go feed my sheep. And Peter gets up out of his pity party, and he sees a season of fruition. What I talked about during communion was that season of fruition, the first part that he saw. He preaches one of the greatest messages ever. And Acts 2.14 says this, Then Peter stepped forward. This is after they you know, heard the gospel in their own language, and the disciples were speaking in other languages. He says, With the other, uh, 11 other apostles, and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, and then he preaches a gospel message. Repent. And here's the thing. What Peter preached to the Jews, Jews didn't have that preached to them. John the Baptist was the first one ever to tell them to repent and be baptized. 
But now Peter says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why would he do that? Some, some you know, Christian groups say, be baptized in Jesus' name only because it says it here. It's like, yeah, you're not understanding the culture there. For them, Gentiles got baptized to become Jews. Jews didn't get baptized, number one, because they were already Jews. That was proselytes, Gentiles coming in. Now he's telling Jews, all of you, he's speaking to Jews, all of you must be baptized, not just baptized, but in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And he preaches this gospel message. And in Acts 2.41, it says, those who believe what Peter said uh, were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Season of fruition. And what I want you to understand is this. Here's what I want to look at today from those three seasons. Is that fruition is this. It's the result of failing as you follow Christ. Or let me say this. Fruition can be, making that difference, can be the result of failing as you follow Christ. Because I can promise you guys, you're going to have the season of following. But I can also promise you this. All of us will fail. You're going to fail today in small ways. Some of you will have big failures. Some of you have had big failures. The weight of regret weighs on you. But can I tell you, you'll never get to the making a difference and bearing fruit as Jesus commands us unless you understand how failure plays into that. Like, like realize that failure is the key to you being fruitful. And that was the key for Peter. It built resilience up in him that he had a season of following, season of failure, and then the season of fruition. And I want to encourage you because so many of us, when we fail, when we have disappointments or people fail you, you know, again, the marriage didn't work out, the job didn't work out, somebody let you down, or you dropped the ball. You went ghosting on the church or ghosting on Jesus and, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you know, stay with them. Whatever that is for you, whatever your history is, Many of us confuse what we did with who we are. That we failed, it didn't go our ways, and therefore we think we're a failure. And if you don't understand this properly, you'll never get to the season of bearing fruit. You'll stop right in the season of failure. And I know this because as a pastor, I see it over and over again, guys. Somebody's fighting the addiction, they're doing great, and they fall back off the wagon. Not only do they do that, they just fall away from Jesus. Season of following is going good. They fail, and they know what? They never want to step up and step forward to bear fruit. And my fear for you and me is that we're going to stay in the valley of failure when we fail. Some of you are still there today. You're hurt. You have regrets. But I want to let you know that failure can be your greatest catalyst for fruition in your life, of bearing fruit. Amen? So here's what I want to, to leave with you. Two thoughts about failure is that failure is not an event. It's merely an opinion. Let me say that again. Failure is not an event. It's merely an opinion. I call it experimentation. <laughs> now, seriously, with our staff, like, if they want to try something, we give them the opportunity to fail. Try it. Why not? Like, for me, I may say, well, don't, don't do that because you may fail. Hey, you know what? Let's try it. And any time we try something and it fails, guess what we understand? We'll learn something from it. If you ever want to take a class on success, you need to actually experiment with failures. 
Here's the thing. Think about it. Anybody who you revere as being somebody great wasn't someone who said, hey, look, I started with everything. I just I kept getting better and better. Never had any troubles. Everything was given to me. Never made any mistakes. Now listen to me. You'd be like, listen to you. You don't have a story. You've not overcome anything. See, people will celebrate your strengths, but they'll identify with your weaknesses. And they'll connect with your weaknesses. I'm, I'm leading this simple fit small group, just teaching basic numbers of nutrition and things like that. And, and one person said this to me. They said, Pastor Kevin, I'm glad to be in here with you because you understand because you've struggled with obesity your whole life. And you understand food addiction. I can't listen to these people who their whole life have eaten salads and look great and I don't want to tell me how to do that. They, they, they don't understand my struggle. And so really that group I'm doing, you know what it is? I'm just telling them all the failures I've made. <laughs> I did everything wrong for many years. And now I just want to share with you that, man, I've done it all wrong. So failure is not an event. Thomas Edison had thousands of failed experiments before he created the light bulb. But we wouldn't call it a failure, would we? We would call it experiments. And so I want to encourage you, that failure you think you had, it's not an event, it's only an opinion. Just because somebody else views that as a failure, you don't have to view it as a failure. You can say, you know what? That was just me learning, and that's the price of learning. And the last thing I want to share with you this morning about failure is this here. And it's failure is necessary to live life differently. If you want the expertise that no one else has, you've got to have some failures. And it's the way you respond to them. See, when you have failure... Your response matters more than what happened. Some people, as I said before, they isolate themselves when they fail. They get away from other believers. Some people deflect and they just blame everybody. They fell in an addiction and they blame their spouse for the addiction. I'm like, so they were holding you down and making you drink alcohol? No, stop it. Deflect, they blame. It's everybody else's fault. Or they loathe and self-pity. And they say, well, I'm just a failure. I'm a screw-up. I'll never be any good. And all of those things are a terrible response to failure. Peter's response to failure is what made him different. And that's what's going to make you different as well. Some of you, I don't care if the failure was 10 years ago, you've got to pause and begin to say, you know what? I am not what happened. And understand that somebody else needs your story. You know, when I was planning my first church, I felt like a failure. I could not get people in the doors of that church in Florida. Could not. And I watched every week that either the same people show up or less people. Because I just couldn't get people in the door. I felt like a miserable failure. Now, what I could have done is what many of, I know even friends have done, I could have just quit. Loathed in self-pity and said I wasn't good enough. Here's what I did. I only made $300 a month working full-time at the church. I took $100 of that money, and I, I, I spent it on a class over 10 years ago. What type of class? An online course to teach me how to leverage social media, how to use Google, how to build websites. I wanted to learn how to get people. I wanted to reach people. And we would sit there, like, i never forget, I was sitting there on, on, on uh, Sunday night. I'm, I have earbuds in. My wife's wa you know, watching Netflix. She says, what are you doing? Like typing notes, she's like, baby, you've been, you just got out of preaching and doing church. What are you doing? I said, I said, I just refuse to go out like this. 
I've got to learn. This is, this is killing me. And I sat there and went through a course to learn all that. Several months later, the Lord transitioned me to Virginia. If you came in by way of Google, social media, a website, or even an invite card, that was because I failed at that in Florida. Completely failed as a leader, knowing how to do that. And I paid money to learn. Now you know what I do? Check this out. To live life differently, you've got to realize failure is necessary. Now I teach other churches how to do it. And now I'm helping the global church understand how to reach people digitally because I failed at it. So I don't know who you are today, but when you read the letter of 1 Peter and we start to crack this letter open, it's from a man who responded to many failures in life. And some of you have backed off of Christianity. There's people watching online today. They're just checking out, again, Christianity. They, they want to come back to faith. Some of you today are like that. You've disengaged the mission of the church as a call on your life. But you know what's happened? Because of your failures, you're laying in the valley, loathing and self-pity. And the Lord's telling you today, you are not what you did. I have a season of fruition and a season of fruit for you if you'll just respond correctly. Respond to my grace. Respond to my hand. Jesus went after Peter while Peter was fishing. Peter didn't go after Jesus. And today, can I tell you, the Lord's pursuing your heart too. And he's saying, I want a season of fruit for you in your life. But to live life differently, can I tell you the one thing that will separate you from everybody else is how you respond to failure. Friends, I could sit up here and take two hours. I won't do it, don't worry. Go, thank the Lord. And I could tell you all the failures I've had. All the failures. Some of them are very embarrassing. In college, I'll never forget playing intramural basketball. There's a group of people who just did not like me. I was kind of like, you know, the LeBron James of the, of the group there. Does everybody want to hate on me? And so anyway, they, I shot an air ball, and they all began to laugh at me and call air ball and call me loser. I ran by them and flicked the bird to them. And that sounds funny, but I was a ministry student, top ministry. So I had to, I had to do a lot of apologizing. It was embarrassing. Oh, I... I I'm going to stop at that story because I could go into other stories that were just even more embarrassing. But I had to learn how to respond to that failure to become the person that I've become today. You're going to have a season of following. And can I tell you, you're going to have seasons of failure. And the Lord is not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's not put you in time out. He's holding his hand out there saying, if you'll come back, I've got a season of fruition for you. I've got a calling for you. you. You've got to make that decision. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you that you never desert us. You never leave or forsake us. And I pray that there will be people who embrace you even in their failures. That, God, they would use these events, the circumstances that happened to them, or even things that they did, or disappointments, or misplaced expectations. They would use that as a catalyst to have a story that's a purple cow to people, that will reach people, that will stick out to people. And Father, today I pray for people in here and those online to receive the good grace that you give, to receive the mercy that you give, and to grab your hand once again, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we praise you and we thank you 
that you are just as much with us in the season of failure as you are in the seasons of following in fruition. As we're praying today, church, and even for those that are online today, maybe you, you resonate with Peter and you say, yeah, that's me. I'm all, I'm all fishing somewhere. I've walked away. I failed. I feel like a failure. I've disengaged. But I want to come back to faith in Christ. I want to be all in once more. I want to have the season of following, and I want to see the season of fruition. If that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith. And it's simple. You say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I failed. But I believe Jesus is Lord. And today, I turn from my old life. I repent of that life. I leave it behind. And I receive forgiveness of sins. For I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. And today I make Jesus my Lord. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you even in seasons of failure. In your good name, I pray. Amen. Amen.